0: All right, welcome everyone to the first ever live taping of Free Associations from Boston University School of Public Health. Free Associations is the Medical Journal Club podcast for anyone who listens to the news and doesn't know whether to believe that news health claim or not. I'm Matt Fox, professor of epidemiology and global health, and we are here in the Boston University Hebert Lounge. Before we get started, we want to take a second to remind you about Population Health Exchange, the Boston University School of Public Health resource resource hub for lifelong learning. Find out more at www.populationhealthexchange.org where you'll find this podcast as well as many other population health learning programs and tools. And uh, we are officially now on iTunes uh, and Apple Play and wherever the kids get their podcasts from these days. So go ahead and check us out and download us, though I assume you've already found us if you're listening to this now. Today in our first segment, uh, which is our journal club segment, we are going to be taking a dive into a paper that reviews the evidence around whether a low-fat diet or low-carb diets are really good for your heart and ultimately your survival. In the second part of the podcast, which is our deep dive segment, we're going to talk about whether the reputation of a journal impacts whether or not we think a study is any good. And then in our third segment, which is our amazing and amusing segment, wacky science. despite what Don chooses to call it, it's the amazing and amusing segment we will talk about some things that just made our day a little bit easier. So let's get started. Let's move into our first segment where, excuse me, we are taking on a new paper that you may have heard about that's getting a, a covered widely in the press um, that reviews the uh, reviews some of the, uh, the data on whether or not fat or carbs are better or worse for you in your diet in terms of uh, heart health. And so I want uh, to get just a an, your audience participation moment here, which I know everyone is dreading, but I'm not going to bring anyone up on stage, so don't worry. Uh, show of hands, how many of you have heard some kind of medical claim be made at some point in the popular press around whether fat is good for you or bad for you? Everybody. All right. Okay, 100% and hands went up. How many of you have uh, heard a claim around whether carbs are good for you?
1: Same. Okay, everybody.
0: All right. So then, now by show of hands... How many of you, I'm going to know which one, of which one you believe more. Is it fat that's bad for you, or is it carbs that are bad for you? Okay,
1: so fat's worse first.
0: So fat, how many think fat is worse for you? Oh, hardly anybody. Oh, Wow. A smattering. I'm surprised. How many of you think carbs are worse for you?
1: Oh, wow. Mm, twice the okay. smattering.
0: How many of you just hate being audience. asked to raise your hand at all? Raise your hands. Oh, that's there everybody. we go. Be honest people. The one thing that people hate more than anything is being right. asked to participate. And uh, by the way, I will remind you that we just fed you burritos, so that should factor into your calculations here. Fats and carbs mixed together. Well, it depends on which one you chose, I suppose. Anyway, uh, so the article was published in the highly reputable Lancet, and the title of the study was Association of Fats and Carbohydrate Intake with Cardiovascular Disease and Mortality in 18 Countries from Five Continents, the PURE Study, which uh, somebody in the audience pointed out to me, PURE does not stand for anything that's in that title. Uh, a prospective study uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna get into the details of the study we're gonna try and help you sort it out and if we can't uh, Chris will review the entire study again for you in interpretive dance <laughs> uh, which I assume is what your courses are like I, 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 I have no idea um, but before we start so we always like to start off with some of the headlines that are, are coming out on the study so you get a sense of how this is being portrayed in the lay press so Uh, The Science Daily says, moderate consumption of fats, carbohydrates, best for health, international study shows. CBS News says, large diet studies suggest it's carbs, not fats, that are bad for your health. And The Atlantic, which I think is probably the one that got closer to getting it right, says, new nutrition study changes nothing. (laughs) And then here are are my actual favorite ones. Uh, Even more evidence that we're eating all wrong. The fat versus carb merry-go-round spins again. More evidence that everything the government teaches us about eating is wrong, and this one for my kids who are in the audience: uh, big new study suggests fat not so bad, vegetables overrated, <laughs> <laughs> which I have to say is not in
2: the study anywhere. No, but it, but but it's in another study that was published in the same journal where which which said that vegetables, in fact, were good, which got no press I whatsoever. Know. I know.
0: All right, so so to get us into it, Don, can you can you give us the uh, the overview of what happened in the study, what they did, why they did it? Sure. And will you specifically address the issue of why, in the name of all that is good in this world, we needed another study on no, banded no, carbs? No,
2: no, I'm, I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna be able to answer that last all one. All right. Uh, all right. So pure actually stands for. Uh, prospective Urban Rural Epidemiology Study. Um, and and this is a study that has been going on for about 10 years um, and is out of Canada and is a humongous epidemiology. It's a cohort study.
0: Humongous, a technical term?
2: Humongous, absolutely enormous. Um, and, and it involves 18 countries on five continents, and they have um, enrolled about 135,000 people who they've followed over time, over the course of the last 10 years, and they are asking all sorts of questions about um, that relate to um, cardiovascular health. And they're interested in things like the built environment, um, nutrition and nutrition-associated food policy, psychosocial and and socioeconomic factors. So they're really looking at the entire gamut of things that might contribute to cardiovascular health. Their justification for this study is that they, in fact, felt similarly that there were a lot of studies out there that were just very, very... um, uh, indistinct in terms of their findings squishy. And, and squishy like mushy, mushy. Um, and in addition to that most of the data that has been generated has been gen- generated in high-income countries so most of it has been generated in the united states and in europe and in scandinavia and they're they their interest is in looking at some of these factors in populations that are vastly different than uh, where, most of the, um, it, where most of the data has been generated. And that means looking at low and middle income countries. So um, what, they, what they wanted to do was to essentially determine what it was that people ate at one point in time, and then follow that population of people over time and count the number of events. And those events were cardiovascular events like myocardial infarction or stroke, um, and then correlate that back with what they determined their diet was at baseline. Um, so they collected a, a tremendous amount of information, um, history, lifestyle, behaviors, physical activity, dietary profile, blood for biochemistry, cardiograms, anthropometric measurements, the height, the weight, the girth
0: All of these the good people.
2: Stuff. Yeah. And they followed them for um, on average, seven and a half years. Now, when they enrolled these people at baseline, they did a food frequency questionnaire which was validated for all of the different countries. And that's a really an important concept because um As everybody in this room knows, diets are widely divergent in in different parts of the world. And what your main source of carbohydrate in the United States is, or Canada, may be quite different than what it is in Malaysia, or in Turkey, or in some of the other countries. Um, So what they had to do is, in a very, very detailed way, question these people, what have they eaten, and then um, what was the size of the portion, and then translate that into all of the nutrients that were, were in their diet. How much fat, how much um, saturated fat, unsaturated fat, how much carbohydrate, how, much, how many total calories. How much protein as well. How much protein as well. Um, and what they did was they did that questionnaire at baseline. And then they um, evaluated these people at three and six and nine years after to count the number of events. They only question them about their diet at one point in time at baseline. And when they questioned them, they asked them, what have you eaten on average over the course of the last year? Which is a little bit squishy.
0: So now I'm going to name everything I ate in the last year right now. Right,
2: right. And the portion size and yep. how often you ate it. So so that, that, that immediately is a, is a little bit questionable. Um, so again, the outcome was total mortality, major cardiovascular events. Um, and what they did is they, they then um, split the baseline population by what they, what they consumed into quintiles. And then at the end, they compared the lowest to the highest quintile in terms of everything that you could possibly think about, in terms of carbohydrates, in terms of um, saturated fats, in terms of total calories. And then they did these, these correlations to see which of those differences correlated with these particular outcomes. They also collected a lot of information on socioeconomic status, which is really important. Um, As things like, was it an urban environment? What was the income um, of the family? All of these things that you would reasonably believe would be determinants for total food intake or quality of, of food intake, and in the analysis, they tried to account for all of those cofactors, which is a really important thing because there's a lot, of, a lot of those that might influence what it is that, that, you, would be, that you would be consuming.
0: And what did they, what did they find?
2: So they um, had 144,000 participants, and uh, 135,000 were included in the analysis, and the, the, the difference being those who didn't have complete follow up. Um, so,
0: pretty much the size of our audience.
2: Yeah, 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 more or less, plus or minus. Um, There were 5,796 deaths, and there were 4,000 had major cardiovascular events. So they had a lot of events, and they had a lot of power to be able to do some of these analyses. Um, And in essence, what they found was that to boil it down, is that those who had a diet that was high in carbohydrates had a substantially increased amount of total mortality. And they also had a um, elevated amount of cardiovascular events like stroke. And those that had very low levels of car- carbohydrate intake and con- consequently high levels of um, fat, saturated fat, polyunsaturated fat, had um, had very good outcomes in terms of, of mortality. So this is something that really turned, I think, the entire the entire world on its head in terms of of uh, of thinking about the the you know the correlation between um, dietary intake and and mortality.
0: And I think, there, I think there's a, there's a lot to, to unpack there. And, and, you know, it's not clear to me exactly how much of it contradicts what we knew before and how much of it actually kind of fits with what we knew before or how little we knew before. But to get us, get us into it, let's, uh, Chris, I'm going to ask you to uh, start us off and, and, and give us your take on this. Uh, is it a good study? Is it a bad study? Mm. And specifically, I want you to, following up from the previous podcast that we did, address the question of whether or not I can now, in light of this study, Eat an entire box of cookies while watching a Gilmore Girls marathon with my kids.
1: Well, you can definitely do that. I can tell you that much. All right. Um, I mean, I was almost thinking that we should we should have a spoiler alert, like in terms of you know, is a high carb diet better for you or or a high fat diet for you? And the answer is yes. Uh. Uh, So definitely one of those is true. Yeah. Since one of them must be false at the same time. Um, Yes, this is a this is a fantastic study, but we have to remember (laughs) this is we may not agree. um, This is a this is a, this is an observational study. Uh, and as we say, every time we talk about observational studies, there are risks to observational studies in terms of inferring the direction of causality and dealing with biases and dealing with confounding. And so the fact that this is a, a, a this, you know, this puts the big and big data, right? This, this is about as big a study as you, you could get it's really big, um, doesn't negate the issues about causality and confounding and bias. All it means is that you can be wrong, but precisely wrong, I guess more and more the,
0: confident in the wrong answer. E-
1: exactly. So the, the, the sort of the you know the errors of interpretation have not been removed by the sample size that that's Correct. the first thing to sort of sort of focus on here um, but with that said I mean it's sort of it is a kind of an awesome amount of work that went into this it's a, it's sort of like the Framingham heart study but but ten times I mean this is uh, Lordy this was a lot of work to do this thing um, and the the analysis were were elegant and interesting um, but I still just you know, if someone came to me on the street and shook me and said, you know, tell me the answer, I would say, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't really know the answer because I, I can't tell whether these things are really due to reverse causality or, or, or bias or confounding. I just don't know.
0: What And what, what, so, what concerns you specifically?
1: Um... <sighs> Specifically, well, I, I mean, it's it's certainly not the the, the data per se. I mean, the, the um, I think what what concerns me is looking at the history in totality of dietary science on this question, and how you know, as all of us know, we sort of lurched from one extreme to the other, and and yet every generation seems to recapitulate the same errors. Is that you know the 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 problem is partially nested in the methodology that these the tools we have epidemiologically can't really answer the question. In a way that that is is fully satisfactory, um, and and yet we also know that doing a, like the the equivalent man, sort of mega randomized controlled trial is just be not possible, difficult, and probably yeah. impossible. Not possible, and and so I'm I'm sort of left waving my hands and saying I just don't know. I just don't know.
0: So so Chris, I, I, would you? I mean, I, based on the the previous discussions that you and I have had, and my take is that you would not be probably convinced by any observational study of a dietary the dietary impacts of, of pretty much anything I and am without a randomized trial you're, you're not buying it. I'm
1: skeptical at baseline. Why? Uh, just because we have been fooled so we many been, times on this same issue and it is just another permutation of the same question where we can't actually resolve the, the, the issue of causality. All right. All right. Uh, Done. And, and plus, oh. you know, there, there are some methodological issues here that are problematic and I think Don is going to um, harp on one of them which is the fact that they only measured the food frequency once and then extrapolated that forward by nine years plus or minus uh and that seems bold yeah Yeah. do you want to harp on that it's devilishly difficult bordering bordering on saucy
2: yeah yeah no i mean i mean clearly (laughs) people's diets can change and 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 their diets can be associated with other health related factors i think that that's one of them i think one of the other ones and and we 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 don't get into tables and we don't get into diagrams because they're really hard to talk about over the over a podcast but i mean i think one of the things that you and i were talking about earlier matt was that um Almost all of the effect that we're seeing, that is being driven by the in, effect on mortality, that's being driven by this high carbohydrate intake, is occurring in the non-Asian populations, which is exactly opposite of what we would have thought, and and uh, because we would think that the high carbohydrate diet would be typical of diets among um, Asian populations, but. If that were in fact true, we would expect most of this effect to be seen in the Asian populations, but it's not. It's I seen agree. in the you know, non-Asian populations. No, I
0: agree. The only thing I could think of is maybe it's that there's there's the the amount of carbohydrates being consumed in in some populations is so high that going even higher doesn't seem to matter compared to the baseline of already having a lot of carbs in your diet. I you know my 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 concern here is um, so much of what Chris. You know, expressed, but it's also the fact that um, the way they set up this analysis is divided uh, into initially they divided up into quintiles of of uh, pick your pick your poison saturated uh, fats or saturated fats fats, total fats uh, or carbs. Uh, They look at quintiles of the distribution, so breaking up into five groups. Yep, Mm -hmm. quintiles,
1: highest to lowest.
0: and then comparing those, which I have problems with in general because I don't know what quintiles means, but later on they get into the actual, you know, what percent. I know
2: what quintiles... When you divide the population <laughs> into fifths. I know what
0: that means. I mean, I don't know what it means to be in the lowest quintile unless you tell me what the value is in the lowest quintile. But my point is um, when, they, when they compare these, they compare them all separately. So they look at being in the highest versus the lowest quintile for fat is... For some being the highest some, somehow seems to be pretty good for you. Being in the highest quintile versus the lowest quintile for carbs seems to be bad for you. But these are not unlinked events. Right, if you right. have more carbs, you're having less fat. That and is so necessary. I think part yeah. of what we're looking at is... These are just two things that go hand in hand. Yeah, and, sort and of the,
1: the, the stretch Armstrong squeezing the toothpaste. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, well, you just squeeze Stop the toothpaste. It goes hand, this Chris. way. The other way. It, it has to. <laughs> right, we're moving, here, removing the bulge to... of nutrients on one one side or of the spectrum or the other. Okay, can
0: we turn think, Chris's I mean, microphone off? <laughs>
2: I think the other problem I had was that you could you could really think of 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 saturated fat as a proxy for for non-poverty. Yeah, you know, because that 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 quintile that had a high level of saturated fat intake had the lowest mortality, but it could also be that they're just the wealthiest because they can afford saturated fats which come in animal products and right. meat and, and dairy. So, right. you know, it, they, they, they adjusted for that, but I don't think that you could necessarily adjust for it completely.
0: No, and I, I think I think there are a whole bunch of things going on analytically that we haven't quite dealt with in any, any previous podcast. So the way this is all set up is, is confusing. I mean, it's not easy to interpret. And it, it gets into another issue, which is they, they put all this energy into comparing the highest quintile versus the lowest quintile, which is interesting in that things seem to be worse if you're in the highest quintile for uh, uh, carbs compared to the lowest, but does that tell us anything really useful? Is anybody going to change from being in the highest to the lowest? people are going to change maybe from the highest to the second highest. Or, you know, if we're really Mm -hmm. lucky, maybe we get them down two. But no one's going to go from the highest to the lowest. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. I'm not sure we get the most useful information out of just comparing the extremes Mm -hmm. other than to tell us maybe something's going on. But it doesn't correspond to what I want to know, which is what do we tell people to do from a public health perspective?
1: Right, 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 right. Because if you start thinking about this in terms of the absolute values associated with any two pairs of adjacent quintiles, the differences are quite small. Whereas, you know, the, the lowest to the highest, you might have a, a 3% difference right. over the seven years. But adjacent, it's like less than, a you know, it's a percentage point at most uh, and often no difference whatsoever. So are we then to counsel people to radically shift their diet, which would be like a 15% shift in their, the composition of a diet that's hard for people to do. Uh, and maybe depending on your socioeconomic means, it could mm-hmm. be impossible to do. So it's, 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 it's preaching re- a recommendation that is sort of, you know, frustrating because of it. it's, it's, it's unattainable. Uh, and yet the, the net benefit might be nil, yep. Uh, yep. as, as a consequence. So yeah, it is, it's very frustrating.
0: And Don, did you wanna did you wanna talk about the, the base the fact that they only had a baseline measure of the food frequency as, as a concern? Didn't I already talk about that? I don't know. Was <laughs> I listening? We did
1: mention that. We did.
0: Why is it a concern? You just mentioned that it was a concern. I was hoping you would elaborate.
2: Well, behaviors change. You know, that they they they, they, they 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 looked at they looked at the the outcomes. They looked at the mortality at 3, 6 and 9 years after they took the baseline free, food frequency. So, you know, it's hard to imagine that that the, that their diets were completely the same over, you know, over a relatively long period of time. Diets change. And I, mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm.
0: absolutely. The question is does it does it does it matter? I mean, it, yes. Bi- diets change, but do they change in a way that would make us think that that these results don't well, mean anything? Well, they probably anything? wouldn't change
1: from because, one quintile to another because but, on average across the population they're going to be similar.
2: Yeah. The, 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 the other real issue I have is is trying to remember what you know the amount of food and the composition of food that you that you that you ate over the course of the last year. I mean, I can't remember what I had for dinner last night.
0: Oh, it was a burrito.
2: Yeah. Well, if if I could walk this back, I mean, you you, can.
1: we 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 have we have been counseled that we should remove fat from diet and now we're saying we we're, we're walking that back and say okay, maybe maybe not all fats are so bad. It should just saturated fats are good so we should not do unsaturated fats. Uh, so unsaturated fats, well, wait a minute, it turns out that there's two kinds. There's this there's the the trans unsaturated fats and there's the cis unsaturated saturated fats and one is made by evil companies like Nestle not Nestle, um, I uh, hope not scratch, that, scratch that, um, some unnamed company, beginning with N, that um, we won't name, um, making these horrible products using chemical catalysts to hydrogenate their their. Fats or dehydrogenate them, I guess. But whereas the other ones come from cows or goats, uh, and they're therefore good. I mean, you know, So we are parsing this and we we're saying, well, it isn't so this isn't this whole group is not so bad. It's actually this subgroup, the trans fat acids, which are are the worst. And and yet in the in again in their analysis here, we're we're seeing that the you know, they they, they have this beautiful graph where they sort of looked down at the dis- different kinds of fats saturated fats, unsaturated fats, monounsaturated fats, polyunsaturated fats, and they all were associated with improvements in terms of cardiovascular. So you're like, well, wait a minute here. I, I thought that though the 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 trend was that except this was for trans fats they didn't look at trans fats they didn't look well they looked at well they they looked at at polyunsaturated fats as a group which would include the trans fats so yep. you're right so maybe you could argue that the cis fats are balancing out the trans fats and it's a it's an it's a wash which would mean that the cis fats has to be that much better than the trans the, the yep. trans fats to completely balance it out so that on average they look better but the point is it all looked better and it shouldn't have all looked better because that's the that's not, not the direction we're expecting it to go so what is going on here exactly you look this you look upset vexing.
0: so is this is this so 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 to follow that up so is this the is this the confounding problem is this the problem that you know i mean we're we're we've controlled for certain things that we think are important that might also explain cardiovascular events and death well but i think there Don are these other things
1: i think he really did when he was talking about you know could, could diet be a proxy for for poverty and, you know, they, they do talk about that in their discussion. They, they do. They, they, what they, they say? Well, they said they could be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, folks. They could are be.
1: brilliant. Brilliant. Was like, and they said we attempted to control for it, but maybe we didn't. That's what they said. Yep, that's what they said. You know, we the attempted other, to, and we might not have.
2: The other issue that I have so, difficulty with is uh, getting back to the other paper that appeared in this issue of the Lancet by the same people in the same population. Same people,
0: same population, same time did Not get any headlines.
2: Right. Go ahead. It's fruit, vegetable, and legume intake and cardiovascular disease and deaths in 18 countries, a prospective cohort study where they found exactly the opposite. They found that, in fact, if you ate fruit, if you ate legumes, if your consumption of carbohydrates were high, it
0: was good you, for you had decreased mortality. <laughs> Fruits and vegetables good for you.
2: Uh, how, Kids? Do you how do you reconcile those? Well, Fruits maybe and vegetables they're, they're good
1: for you. are talking about pasta and pasta and taro roots and and rice and and Yeah, uh, I mean they, 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 they did
2: they did talk about refined carbohydrates and processed carbohydrates. Six
1: sugar rings as opposed to five sugar rings. Yeah, right. Okay. For a little bit of sugar. Okay, so it's, so totally s- different. So where do we Even come to? Even biochemically, your body converts fructose into sucrose. Uh, into, excuse me, into glucose. It all goes into the same yeah. pathway in the end. So it, it doesn't really matter.
0: All right. So so clearly we've 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 got some evidence of benefit and harm but we also have concerns given those concerns where do you come down can I can I eat the Twinkies or not oh, definitely
2: you can eat the Twinkies Why? No question about it Twinkies really they, good
0: they're good they're natural yeah, they are now where do, where do you come down on this one Don
2: um I think the jury's out I jury's think, still it, I, out think it's, I think it's I think it's intriguing I think it's flawed um and I think it's it's you know it's it's job satisfaction for scientists you know
0: (laughs) more research is needed more research research is needed got it chris how about you well
1: i think i said at the beginning but i I agree with don i mean i think you could summarize this 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 analysis we did a gigantic epi study we controlled for some variables we found some associations they could be not linked causally or biased or confounding and we're not sure more research is needed
0: okay so just, just take that whole piece, and we don't actually need Chris and the rest of the podcast because we could just repeat that for every journal article we do. That's that's pretty much the same story. Very frustrating, right.
1: actually. Very it frustrating.
0: Is. It is. I, I think you and I don't necessarily agree. So I would say I'm I'm, I'm kind of mixed on this one. I definitely agree with you. Jury's still out, um, and I, I I would like to see more evidence. I'm not convinced that the. Effects that we're observing aren't explained away by by confounding, by the fact that, as we say, risk factors like to party together. And so it's hard to tease out the effects of one uh, risk factor from the other when you don't have really good longitudinal data over extended periods of time, which... They don't have here, so I'm not convinced. I'm also not convinced they're asking the right questions. Uh, you know, I, th- I think that it, it, you know the one thing you never know in studies like this is what what does it mean to to go from the highest quintile to the lowest quintile? Does that mean that I just stop eating carbs? In which case, I just eat less, which presumably is probably well, depending on how much I eat, might be good for me, might be bad for me, or do I replace it with something else like fats or protein do I just start eating? I mean, should we all just Eat protein only. There, there not are a whole bunch of different. study. It was okay. a wash. <laughs> All right. So I'll cancel my plans for the Outback Steakhouse after this. Got it. Uh, you know, it's just not clear. It's not clear what the what the actual question is. So we'll 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 leave it at that. Unless Don, you want to have the, no, the, the final the just, word?
2: No, just the only other point I, ha- I have, and it
0: goes back to the baseline. He does want to have the final word
2: food frequency questionnaire, you know, I think to parse out the nutrients to the extent that they did in terms of monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, and refined carbohydrates too much for you. is over-precision, because it's all based on the the report that the individuals gave them at baseline mm-hmm. about what they ate, and if they're off just a little bit, you can really throw those 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 individual nutrients Completely out of whack. So, you're not so they're saying basing a whole lot of conclusions on some, I think, sketchy baseline data. So
1: there's misclassification here. But again, yeah. again on average, it's going to kind of. Don't you think it's going to kind of hang
2: uh, roughly, approximately? No, no, yeah? no. I don't think so because we do see these dose no, gradients. No, because there are so there are, there are there are so many differences in terms of the nutrient content of the various foodstuffs. If you know, if you make a a, a small error or a small overestimation, you could way overestimate the amount of polyunsaturated fats yep. that's in somebody's diet so yeah. you're
0: not you're not specifically saying you don't believe that the different types of fats could could plausibly have different effects you're just saying you don't think they could reasonably measure expect to measure each of those individual categories very well right and therefore fair they enough.
2: can't base their conclusions on that fair enough yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: no i mean i i i think i think we're stuck here and the other thing that they they didn't really uh deal with is um Genetics, my, yeah. my gosh! I mean, that, that's huge. I, I, I don't know if you, if you, if you let this um, this one uh, caught your eye, but um, Europe was represented by one country.
0: Which well, was, North America was North America was almost, almost entirely represented by Canada.
1: So all of Europe was was Sweden. Yep. And all of North America was Canada. <laughs> <And> <laughs> right,
0: Two-thirds of the data is China and India. Right. So uh, it's not clear exactly. And South Asia. Right. Yep. right.
1: Yep. So it, it is heavily skewed, actually, to certain populations, certain genetic Other than groups. that, it was a great study. Other than that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's and move they did, on. They let's didn't even th- talk about th- total calories, but I don't even want
0: to go there they, because it's a mess. They it's did adjust mess. for total cal- calories, though. But anyway, let's move on. All right. So let's move on to our our second segment. Now that we have sorted that out, let's uh, let's talk about journal impact factors because this this article came, or not impact factors, but the quality of a journal. This, this this article came out in the highly reputable Lancet, uh, and Lancet is one of the these top tier journals, like New England Journal. New England Journal or JAMA, and then even above that, there's the more general science journals like Nature and and science, and science uh, yeah. that are considered the you know the kind of top journals in their field, uh, and then sort of you have journals that are considered not quite up to to that standard, and so people kind of put things in tiers. Lancet, uh, so. Based on the, if you go by the impact factor, which is just one measure, Lancet, I looked it up, uh, has an impact factor of 39.207, which strikes me as a very precise number, uh, and and that's essentially just a measure of 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 uh, it takes into account citations, uh, but of sort of the quality. So the higher it is, the 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 better the journal is. And so my question to you is, uh, I think a lot of people when they look at um, the, the journal rankings, uh, think of these as implying quality about the, the studies that are, are published to them. And clearly we have just looked at the Lancet study that we have lots of problems with. So is it, is it fair to equate quality with rankings like an impact factor or are we making too much of, of, of publishing in the Lancet, the New England journal? Chris, what do you What's your take on that? Um,
1: well, it's a complicated question, but I mean, obviously the the You're a complicated the guy impact factors. The impact factors are telling us something. What and I, t- I, I mean, I, th- I think there's a um, I mean, they It's it's telling you the 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 competition to get your your article published in this journal is 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 that much more difficult um, because there's you know people want to have a higher impact. You know you're working on a, a big project and you get a killer result and you really want everybody read it. You don't want to publish it in Joe's Journal of Medicine. You want it to be the New England Journal of Medicine, the local journal down the street. Um, you want it be seen worldwide, and so there's that competition of these journals can be that much more choosy in terms of. Of, of, of harvesting the best papers and i think the peer review process does also tend to be better and so oh boy I, I not perfect but I, I think on on average it's, it's better uh for better s-
0: be- better at top-tier journals i w- do you he- have any evidence to well, I Back mean, that claim up.
1: JAMA, for example, um, often requests the data sets, and will have their own statisticians review and reanalyze the data. So I think that's an important quality control measure. And the British Medical Journal has has this open trans uh, open review process where you can see the reviewers and they can see you, and so it kind of you know de-snarkifies the process where people can't take cheap shots at each other because they know who they are. Uh, and I think that the does that,
0: does that make the science better?
1: I think on average it probably does. And are you saying there are, are there no exceptions? Of course there are exceptions because we, we choose these exceptions for our course. <laughs> um, uh, you know, when we're trying to show that the, right. the JAMA, New England Journal, and Lancet, and BMJ are not infallible, we want to find the juicy examples of where they were very fallible. So nothing is perfect, but I think on average there is a, a trend in that direction. Now, if you ask me how big is that trend, I don't know. And if you ask me is that trend a linear trend? Is it, like, directly correlated with impact? I don't know and I would doubt it. My my guess, total guess, is that this is probably a lot like the US World News and News and World Reports college rankings. That there are like a handful of colleges that always seem to be at the top and get the ratings and maybe they deserve it and maybe they don't, but on average Harvard is a very good school. But then there's this very large sort of a collection of colleges and by analogy journals which are also excellent in that slightly second tier and they're all kind of trying to scratch each other's way up and down that impact mm-hmm. factor mm-hmm. scale, but on average they're probably about the same. I mean that's my guess is that that there's that at a certain point it matters not so much. And then it kinda of peters out. I mean, I don't know. What do you think?
0: I, I'm not I'm not convinced that the, the the peer review quality at the top tier journals compared to say the next tier is necessarily any any better or worse? Uh, I, I think that probably as it trails off into you know lower and lower impact journals, you, you may just because people get overwhelmed with the number of papers that they've got to review. But uh, to say that that people reviewing for the for the Lancet necessarily know what they're doing and how to critique a study and figure out what what's a good study from a bad study uh, compared to you know at the whatever the next tier down is for your particular field, uh, I just I, I, I'm not I'm not sure I, I buy it. Well, maybe if we looked at it using quintiles, <laughs> ah, that is it. So, so impact factors are essentially. Uh, I think of I think of impact factors as like Google, in the sense that Google, you know, Google decides what pages to show you based on how many people link to a particular uh, page. Impact factor essentially <laughs> is a is a is a, a way that looks at how many people cite the work that is in that study, and so it seems to me that is a. Uh, and we talked about uh, uh, at one point we talked about the. Um, the Wakefield study, the study that uh, looked at MMR and autism and has been debunked, and, you know, for mm-hmm, I mm-hmm, didn't go and look it up. I was mm-hmm. going to look it up how many citations that paper got, but I'm going to guess that it's a lot. It's I, a lot. I went to go look it up before uh, yes. we came here. I Googled it, but then a thing popped up to tell me the new iPhone came out, and I got totally distracted, <laughs> <laughs> so I forgot to check the number. But I'm guessing it's high, and, yeah, you know, that would theoretically, theoretically factor into an impact factor. Does uh. it mean anything, Don? What's uh. your...
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that there is some validity to the impact factors. I, I think, uh, you know, from uh, my personal experience, the I find that the reviewers for the New England Journal of Medicine and Lancet tend to be more numerous and more rigorous. Um, I think it's rare for... Um, you to get comments back that um, contain a statistical reviewer, and I think that that's a really, really good trend when that happens. And I think that the top tier journals tend to do that, and they're the ones that they've caught you and me on a couple Not of times. they've caught you. No, 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 they caught no, us no, no, no. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I've never um, done anything wrong. <laughs> so,
2: so you know, I, I think that you know, it, there, there, there is a, I, I think there is a higher quality, um, and I think it, it's also our experience that if we think we have a good paper, we aim high, and we then get rejected, and we go down to the next tier. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. We get rejected, we go down to the next year, and eventually it gets published someplace. I
0: mean, not us. Other people do that. We get into the top one, right, all the time. First time, but other people do that, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, Just parenthetically,
1: uh, I don't know if you're aware that Andrew Wakefield's paper is the highest, the most frequently cited retracted paper of all time.
0: I did not know that. It is true. Somebody's (laughs) got to be up there at the top, right? Yep. He's the leader. Uh, So, okay, all right. So, you guys both like randomized trials, from what I can gather from this podcast. We like series. well
1: well run randomized trials,
0: right? You like well run. Yes. So 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 what if we, so what if we did a blinded trial, in which the reviewers did not know what journal they were reviewing for? Then would you buy it? Then would you if you if I could show you then. That the quality of the reviews was the same regardless of which journal it came from. Wait, wait a minute, I hate the, what if questions. Run, run this
1: by me again. So you're saying that somebody I'm just is, saying we're is gonna reviewing blind a bunch people. of reviews, yeah. but you don't know which journal these reviews were from, and you're yeah. supposed to rate their quality and decide this is a really great yeah, review. I better review it came the Lancets. It we're must be really so meta. great. Yeah. yeah uh-huh okay do, that's a do tough one you think you could tell uh i just don't think you could i think it would be really hard to tell yeah i agree with you i think it'd be really really hard to tell um but i i, I th- that said it you, doesn't tell you when anything. you you know oftentimes when you finish, you complete a review the journal will send back your re- I know. B- reviews I like along that. with all the other comments yep. that you got on that paper and for some of the lower tier journals i have to say some of the reviews uh, are not all that good Okay, so I don't know. I mean, it does seem to trend that way, but
0: I I would agree with you. I think that it to to uh, if you're going to talk about the difference between the top quintile and the lowest quintile, absolutely. But we're not talking about that. I'm talking about the top quintile compared to the next I quintile think, down. I think
1: it would be tough. I bet it's more reputational than it is
2: actual. I think it is. Level, I think
1: there's a, there's a lot of reputational the Quintile, the quintile pairings are are, are tight
0: quintile. You quintile. Know, I, think
2: the, I think there's one other factor and that is that a lot of the a lot of the the papers that are submitted to these journals don't ever make it really to the reviewers it's the editors themselves mm-hmm. that <laughs> do the first cut and I think mm-hmm. that the, the editors for the top-tier journals uh, you know are full-time editors and they and they oftentimes um, you know have have more experience and they've been in the business a longer time So, so. are
0: they are they, and, I, and I think you hit the nail on the head are they necessarily at the top tier journals looking for the highest quality studies? Or are they looking for the biggest study, or the one with the most interesting find? I mean, there's there is to a certain extent uh, the same forces that drive the the things that get picked up in the news to drive what gets published in the in the top tier journals. I don't think it's nearly to the same degree, but I think to a certain extent there is there you know the New England Journal gets the the really big study. And the you know the really
1: impactful study, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so and I'm not convinced. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Have yeah. I have I brought you guys over to the to my side yet? I I nah, would, not really. I think no. we're we're
1: we're, we're no. still sticking with it. There's a general trend. You but are. This is the, this, we're, we're still no, using Chris. the toothpaste. Squeezing the oh, toothpaste. Stop
0: it. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. At some point, the cap is left <laughs> off. All right. I think we've, I think we, I think we have beaten that <laughs> <I think> one. <laughs> that one's totally dead. As far yeah. as we need to beat it. So let's, uh, let's move on to our last segment. So our last segment is our amazing, amusing, amazing and amusing segment, which Don refuses to call that. He calls it the wacky science, but it's not wacky science, where we want to highlight, uh, a few of the things that we just, make us enjoy our jobs even more uh, than we already do or look at the weird and wacky if you're done or the things that just uh, kind of inspire (laughs) us. If you're me and if you're Chris that I'm easily inspired, uh, (laughs) I'll just let you hear what Chris has. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, Shake it up a little this time, I'm gonna start with Chris. All right. All right, very good.
1: Uh so um you know, I was looking at your desk uh, today, Don, and there was your your back scratcher there, which which brought today uh, to mind a uh <laughs> the word of of the day. Curious uh, where this is a- going. A- which yeah. is acnestis, a k N-E-S-T-I-S. Anybody know what acnestis is?
0: Acnestis? It, it is, a, it is In the audience? a noun
1: for you Greek scholars. It is the the place on your back that you cannot reach to scratch. The acnestis.
0: The acnestis. I should know okay. that, that definition. Use it, use it in a
1: sentence. Um, the acnestis is a vexing spot ah, in the middle of the night. Well done. <laughs> well done. Um, yes, it, uh, it comes from the Greek knes, connect 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 connect. Uh, anyway, which keep means going, keep going. Uh, which means interestingly, cheese grater or spine.
0: Yeah, right. No, uh, obviously, uh, I was going there too. Um, I was going which there I too. think has sort
1: of a you know a, a, a anyway. Um, the, the, the reason this came up is is because I I, uh, I was casting around today for um, fun science, amazing but true science studies, uh, and I was going to do CD three hundred eighteen is a ligand for CD six because that sounded <laughs> like a really sexy title no, that people would be wrong. into, but. That, <laughs> and I found a much better one, which is about about, about grooming and the acnestus spot on bees. Bees. Um and uh, and yep. pollen collection. Yep. Now I I I was not aware of this. Um, but you know, you know, when a flower makes pollen, it makes a finite amount of pollen grains, and, and pollen is a very energy yes. intense thing to make because it includes all the DNA of the next generation. It's it's a you know it's, a, it's the it's the haplotype, and so these these pollen grains are are precious stuff, and bees are incredibly efficient at gathering up pollen. Um, I mean, we think that they are, but I didn't realize how how ruthlessly efficient they are ruthlessly. 95 to 99% of a pollen of plant of a flowers pollen will be gathered by bees now the the that is this great is for the somewhere. bees because they somewhere. eat the pollen, they feed it to their young, yep. um, but it's bad for the flowers because the flowers want the the, the pollen to uh, go and pollinate another flower. Sure. Okay. So in, in a way, the bees are, are necessary, but they're they're a little bit evil because they're so greedy. And so the plants have come up with different strategies for getting around this and it has to do with the acnestic spot on the bee. Oh. So it turns out, and this is I what these, these, this? these researchers did was um, using fluorescent dyes on bees is that they found that there are there are places on bees that the bees cannot groom. So if you ever look at a, b- a bumblebee, that it goes to a, a you know a series of flowers and it gathers up all this all this pollen and it catches it on its bee baskets, which is like the the, the, the you know the left we've on seen the, the bee movie. It, we so, know. And it yep. it, it, it Creates this great big bubble of pollen, um, absolutely stuffed with pollen, um, and that's where most of it goes. But in the process, the bee is covered with pollen, and it doesn't like this. And so, when the bee, particularly when pollen settles on the head of the bee, the bee wants to groom, and it's got all these grooming combs all over its legs, which it uses to gather up the pollen, and it tries to gather them up into its baskets and and carry it back. But there are places on it on it which it cannot reach, and it cannot groom, which are basically right behind the the head, or between its antenna, or in the sort of the gap between its thorax and its abdomen. Wondering about that. Um, yeah, no. And, that, uh, and then in general, the colour is a we were talking about that a night, right? a long stripe <laughs> of the mi- the middle of the back, and of the middle of the little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a for of a bee because of a places which get a with pollen but the bee can't groom off and cannot then That's bring home cool. feed then so it, it actually then looks at of evolution of plants and finds of there are certain of which are particularly adept at depositing pollen onto the safe spots onto then harvesting them onto the little bit of themselves Very and cool. I just thought that that was absolutely the coolest thing ever. So you can see so Chris Chris to, goes
0: to the uh the amazing. Agnestus. Agnestus. All right. Agnestus. I've a, already forgotten what it means. All right. Done. Mm. All right. Don. So, so Don goes amusing. So
2: I got let's two see if he's true to form. things that I wanna Two. Two.
0: Two. Getting yeah. greedy like a bee.
2: I am. All right. So the first the first is an article that was published in the British Medical Journal in December of 2012 so this
0: would be the Christmas, Christmas edition issue, the
2: very f- famous Christmas edition of the uh, BMJ um, and this was a um, study that was done in England where they um, administered a questionnaire to people who were brought to the hospital, complaining of abdominal pain and who might have appendicitis. And in that questionnaire, they asked a bunch of questions, but one of the the main questions that they ask is, on the way to the hospital, did your transport go over speed bumps? And if it went over speed bumps, did that make your belly (laughs) hurt? (laughs) And they found, when they did um, an analysis, they had 64 participants who had traveled over speed bumps on their journey to the hospital... 64, 34 had confirmed histological diagnosis of appendicitis, 33 of whom reported increased pain over the speed bumps. So they calculated the sensitivity of that as a diagnostic test for appendicitis Go epidemiology. and found that All it right. was better than most of the physical manipulations that we do at the bedside so to try so to determine good. whether somebody has appendicitis. <laughs> That's fantastic. I thought that was, I thought that was and, fantastic. And how does that rate so with a,
0: kicking the bed move?
2: That probably would be a proxy so for that. So if you think then, somebody
0: has appendicitis, you, you should, should put them in an ambulance or in get the back the of the car, your car <laughs> drive, drive around, around will the will sort lot, this Yeah.
2: And you probably need to go over <laughs> go over twice, nice. you know, forward and <laughs> yep. <backwards>. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, it had 97% sensitivity, Get some air there. <laughs> only 30% specificity. Yeah, so it so needs lot, some improvement. A lot, a lot of false
0: positives, right. but we can live with that. They didn't
2: determine the, no. the size Who or cares? the
0: speed. Who cares how many unnecessary appendixes right. we take out? Right. That's appendixes, 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 which is That's Not, not is at all. Appendices, is it appendixes appendices. or appendices? Appendices. No, that's in a book. A
2: book has appendixes. Appendices. appendices.
0: A human has appendixes. Shoot. Well, shoot, shoot, a you, human might, be right. one, <laughs> you anyway. might be right, but right, anyway, all right. So you have then, the one? other
2: one, the other one is, um, and I've talked about this before, as you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up because it's very relevant to tonight for this live audience, not the audience that's going to be hearing this on the podcast, and that is something that I don't know um, how many people know about, but it's really one of the most wonderful things about being in Boston, and there's a lot of wonderful things about. Being in Boston, like, like, being able to, like, like, like being in a town where, where your teams cheat. No. Or, or <laughs> being hurts. able to use the word wicked as an adjective.
0: Hey, wicked is an adjective. Yeah. Or I'm becoming, wicked and insulted that you would say that.
2: Becoming an expert on Boston accents when you go to the movies with your friends. Yep. You can just say, yep. oh, that's a terrible Boston accent. Yep. Anyway, it's called the Ignoble Awards. How many people have actually heard of them? Not that many people. It is absolutely one of the most unique, wonderful things that Boston has to offer. Every year um, at Harvard, and they have a two-hour show where they give this ignoble award to people who have published real papers that are just wacky. And they, they go through this whole thing, and they have real Nobel laureates up there on stage, and they give out these, award, these awards. And what I wanted to do was just read a few of them from last year. So Christopher Helmchem, Karina Palser, and Silky Anders got the Medicine Ig Nobel Prize for discovering that if you have an itch on the left side of your body, you can relieve it by looking into a mirror and scratching the right side of your body. Which,
0: by the way, which by the way was one of your that was one of your I know, I know, your I, I, amazing I, I, music. i referred to that yes. in a prior podcast. <laughs> yes, the which bio- I do not think is a joke study. I think this has so many it was implications. A real study. Yeah, it was really published. I think right, this has so then, revolutionized the scratching.
2: I got two more potential. Le- last year, the biology prize was awarded to Charles Foster for living in the wild as at different times. A badger, an otter, a deer, a fox, and a bird. And to Thomas Thwaites for creating prosthetic extensions of his limbs that allowed him to move in a manner of and spend time roaming hills in the company of goats.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No. (laughs) So right. Makes so much sense. And the
2: third one. The third,
0: third Your ta- tax dollars at work, people.
2: third one. No, that was actually from, uh, I think that was from Sweden.
0: Okay, somebody yeah. else's tax dollars at work. Fine. The, the,
2: the Literature Prize went to Frederick Joburg for his three-volume autobiographical work about the pleasures of collecting flies that are dead... And flies that are not yet dead. Oh, <laughs> sure.
0: They'll so all, it's a, it's an absolute dead must
2: attend every year this time of the year. And if you don't make it, um, Ira Flato actually has a broadcast on th- on um, Science right. Friday of the Friday after Thanksgiving. But you got to be there because there are so many visual jokes. It's it's just hysterical. All cool.
1: right, cool thanks. stuff. On we'll, thanks, we'll, for we're, we're going to be there. We are. We're going to be there. Chris and I are going. <laughs> and
0: yeah. they they planned it for the night when I'm teaching, so I couldn't go. Thanks, guys. So uh, I went in a different direction than I would normally go. I went with something that kind of really just impressed me this week. So um, I, a few people in the audience will know, writing is not my strongest uh, suit. Uh, I struggle a little bit. I do fine, but I'm always looking for examples of good writing because it's, you know, it's not necessarily what I'm best at. And I find that the hardest thing for me to write in a paper is the abstract? I find abstract so difficult to write. So you, the abstract of a, of, a, of a scientific paper, you generally is broken down into you've got your background where you have to explain to people in you know you have a total of 250 to 350 words for this whole thing. You have to convince people that this was something that was worth doing. Then you have to give them your methods enough so that they can figure out what you did, and then you have to give them your results, and then you have to draw some kind of pithy conclusion. All this in 250 to, to 300 words. And it's, I, just, I just find it so difficult to get the right information in there and in a way that is just well said and that people can understand. So I look every time I'm trying to write a paper, I look for a good example that I can model things on. So I was doing some searching around and I came across an abstract that I just thought was so well written that I thought I would share it with you. So, this is uh, from the uh, Journal of Physics A colon, mathematical and theoretical, which I think we can all agree is the best of the Journal of Physics series. <laughs> the title of the paper is Can Apparent Superluminal Neutrino Speeds Be Explained as a Quantum Weak Measurement? The abstract says Probably not. <laughs>
2: Which, you know, I love it. like,
0: what else do you need to say? <laughs> it's all there. I love it. And I wish I could do that. I just wish I could do that. <sighs> All oh, right, wow. well, <laughs> welcome. That is, so that is the end of our program. If you have any feedback on this or any other episode, or you want to suggest a study or a topic for us to take on, you can tweet us at Pop Ex. That's at Pop Ex. Or you can find us on the Population Health Exchange website at www.populationhealthexchange.org. Uh, we want to thank Leslie Talalian, Director of Lifelong Learning at Boston University School of Public Health, for supporting the podcast. Nick Guler, who does our, our sound and editing. Uh, Thank you all in the live audience for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you download our next episode.
2: Thank you.